Hello, this is Abby at Recovery Radio, and today I'd like to talk to you about personal empowerment. Here at Recovery Radio, we take the power you give us through your generous donations and combine them with others in a way that multiplies their effect. When someone listens to our podcast, they receive that power in an entirely different form, one that empowers them to practice their recovery. Please help us empower people by going to recoveryradio.net right now and clicking the donate button. This is our speaker. Our speaker is my rock where I turn for unconditional love. Our speaker is my reality check, and she keeps me in line with reality with great humor and has taught me to laugh at myself. And thank God our speaker is my sponsor. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you our speaker, Juanita. Oh, shoot, am I speaking? (laughs) That's a little bit of senior joke. I won't tell you about that one. My name is Juanita A., and I am a very, very grateful Al-Anon in good standing. Uh, I hope I never, ever lose this feeling There's not a feeling in the world that describes this. Because, you see, you just don't get from where I came from to up here. And I'm so humble when I do this. Thank you, Judy. She's meant more to me than I have her. I want to thank the committee. Walked in the room yesterday and opened it. And you know us Al-Anons have a built-in thing that we have a hard time getting over. And I thought, oh, my God, I don't deserve this. It, it took me probably halfway across the room, and I thought, oh, gosh, I do, too. <laughs> and then I got tested to see if I'm as well as I sometimes say I am. But where's the hot tub? I don't see it. It was wonderful. I do understand that I have a basket floating out there somewhere, but I want to sympathize with the committee. They've tried to get up with me, but everybody I know has that trouble. So we're going to connect. But I'm one of these Al-Anons that likes to get her ducks in a row, always keep my ducks in a row. And I forgot to ask the committee, does Judy still have to be nice to me after this talk the rest of the weekend? (laughs) I just want that taken care of right now. I was privileged to attend some of the AA planning meetings. Most grateful for the involvement they've allowed us to have with this convention. We all learn a lot from it. We we know. I was here seven years ago, and I should have brought my T-shirt, been here, done that, had that T-shirt. But... I got so intimidated. Oh, they might, I was the only Alan on. And, and I thought they may not like me. And I really got bent out of shape about that one until I had a reality check and I thought I was married to one that didn't like me. <clears throat> and I gave birth to one that didn't like me. <laughs> so what was, what was I going to worry about? <laughs> so I got over that one in a hurry. 
when I'm asked to do something like this, I put, I just send myself on a trip that won't wait. And then I'm going to do a whole lot of good things and I'm going, I'm going to write me out a good speech and y'all going to think I'm just the best one that ever has been. And I'd write these little notes and stack them up and I'd write them and stay and they begin to pile up, you know, and I thought, now I got to stop long enough to kind of see what I'm thinking. And then I got to sorting them and I got to throwing them because you know I only talk shorthand. I don't take it. <laughs> So I threw them all out, <clears throat> and then finally did what most every person that's willing to get up here. I let go and let God have it, and that's where it is in his hands today. I do have a message. I can sit out here and look at an alcoholic. I can read you like a book, and you th- have a lot of training at that. <clears throat> and you're thinking, oh, my God, I've come here on this beautiful afternoon and got away from the water and everything to hear Another sweet little old lady get up there and tell us how to stay sober. Well, I want to assure you that I'm not even a sweet little old lady most of the time. <laughs> and I'm going to send, I'm going to do you a big favor, so don't leave. I'm going to send most of you home grateful. Because you haven't lived until you drank under my watchful eye. And tried to get sober with my strategy. <laughs> we are supposed to tell, I'm supposed to tell, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Uh, when I was writing all this good stuff down that I was going to say, you don't write down as many years as I've been around and what all the things I've done. So that is where you just have to kick in. And I wished I could do it in order. I wished I could let it make sense. But I never have done that in any conversation I've ever done with anybody. So I would just stick to myself and, and go ahead. But uh, I always when I start out to tell what it was like, as a child, I, I have a lot of names. I mean, people give me all kinds of names, and I don't understand it. And I probably will qualify for all of them today. Uh, Mouth of the South is one of them, and I never did know why they gave me that one. Uh, God Witch. Uh, I kind of think I know why they gave me that one. Uh, but we won't tell about that one. Uh, there's some uh, titles that, or some things I'm called that I you know, probably can't discuss up here. But uh, anyway, I'll probably act them all out. Uh, I am a middle child. That's another one. And that started my journey in life. When you're a middle child, you get up fighting in the morning, whether you got to or not. You start out the day because either the oldest group or the youngest is going to get at you. So uh, with my siblings, I've been called camp director, and I guess I plead guilty to that too, and just a lot of things. But that started me out, that middle child. Uh, I had an injury as a child, and it took me to a lot of hospitals, and I don't even have to tell you that I lived, grew up in the Depression. You can look at me and tell what age I am, and, uh, but I grew up in the Depression era, and with this injury, they didn't have local hospitals. They just had a big one in Mobile in my area, and I had never been out of, I, I don't think, out of the county. 
and uh, they decided that I should go there. My family did not go with me. Uh, with that middle child attitude of mine, I said, well, I'll do it. And I learned right then to, li to live the serenity right. prayer. I didn't know what I was living, but I did. And I can remember, and I only recalled this, and it, but it's real important. It's real important for those of you that know me. And I am so grateful to see all of you here today, especially all my gang that, at Solutions and all of the groups I go to here. You're a beautiful bunch of people, and, and I couldn't have made it without you. But anyway, I recalled something just recently. We was in a big ward in a hospital. And at night, I probably was 10, and there was a baby about 18 months old in a crib by me. They just lined the beds up, you know, and, they, and that little baby would cry at night. And I would reach out and get her hand and hold it until she went to sleep. That started some with me that, that is with me till this day. I have to be careful, and everybody around me has to be careful because sometimes I, I enable too much. And... I, I made several trips there without any of my family ever being there. I can remember one time having a cast on, and my I didn't, it didn't feel right because I'd had them before. And I kept trying to tell them something was wrong, and, you know, just kid-like, they didn't. And when my toes started turning, they decided, oh, that's on too tight. Well, I could have told them that. So, so we had to cut it and redo it. These are just some of the experiences I had. But it's real important part of my story is because I learned right then how to, how to depend on myself and how, and I started out saying, I can do it. I can do it. I can lick the world. And I've had pretty much that attitude until alcoholism came into my life. I don't, do a lot of horror stories, but I do need to qualify, or you won't relate. And I share something, and it's it's been real funny to me that I, when I qualify, I say I am the widow of an alcoholic, and I am the mother, the grandmother, the sister, nieces, and lots of friends that are alcoholic, and so I really do qualify. Uh, years went by, and I graduated from high school, made several trips to that hospital, learned an awful lot. But today, extremely, extremely grateful that I had that opportunity. As I was going about my merry way, I was born laughing until alcoholism came along. And that was one of the greatest resentments I had, that it wiped away that laughter of mine. There was a young man that was having a lot of problems with life. His father became ill, and he assumed the head of the household. He was my brother's best friend. I didn't even know what happened to him. There was five years difference in our ages. And, oh, I just, I'm a mean little kid. I think I, t I don't know if I told you that one or not. Uh, but I always like to tell him that I married an older man. I tell everybody that, you know, and I would leave out that it was just five years difference. But there, that is the difference in growing up. And I didn't even know where he was. One day I got a letter from him. It was... Um, and I always qualify this was World War II and not one. Uh, <laughs> I got a letter from this young man. And it had been years since I even had thought of his name or anything. 
He was in the Panama Canal Zone, and war had been declared. I waited two or three months before I answered the letter, and he was my brother's best friend. And you know the rest of the story. I married my brother's best friend. Uh, he came back to the United States on a cadre. Some of you out there may be old enough to know what that was in the service. Uh, but he came back to retrain. And we had a real long courtship. I believe it was six weeks. <laughs> he called me from Spokane, Washington, and asked me to marry him. And I left without even telling my parents. I was in another town working. I didn't think about that until about four years ago. I have a granddaughter. That's, I have two or three granddaughters, but that, this one is special to me. And they was going to let her, her parents were going to let her go to California and work, uh, Colorado and work. She's 20. And I said, my God, I, I don't understand that. I don't understand it. 20 years old, and all of a sudden I had another reality check. That's the age I was when I left to Spokane, Washington from Alabama to marry this man. He was, my life was uneventful until Charles came into it. Because I always knew that my life would be good, but I was just waiting. He was every woman's dream. He was a tall, handsome soldier boy. And we lived in Spokane, and he planned a beautiful wedding, the whole nine yards. He had met some people there. And one long before, in a few months, in a few months, he got sent back overseas. And we were expecting our first child. I went back to Alabama to live, and here again started another path for me. He didn't see our son until he was almost a year old. He did not bond with him. It's difficult to have a child and not even know where your husband is. The wars then, they didn't tell you anything, and I had no idea where he was the last three months of my pregnancy. But he did come home just, just short of his first birthday, but they didn't bond. I bonded for both of us. So this was my boy. He was extremely special to me. And my husband got out of the service, and we started our little life. And then Charles's daughter was born. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people, when I tell that, thinks we had different hus- husband and wife. Uh, but we, that was his daughter. He bonded with, bonded with her. And they worshiped the ground each other walked on. That still to this day is a pattern that's in my life. We started this life together. And we was going to ride off into the sunset and live happily ever after. At, at the end of 20 years, he retired from the military. Oh, he went back into the service. I loved every day of being a military wife. I loved the traveling. If you got an assignment you didn't like, you didn't sweat it. I didn't because you knew you were going to move on pretty quick and find another one you would like. And I always went there liking it. I still, to this day, do most everything I do like that. But we, we did. He did retire from. And we were stationed at Tyndall Air Force Base in Panama City. I am a Florida transplant. I am from Alabama. And he decided, he decided, anything my husband decided, I went along with it. He was the head of the household. He was such a good family man. And I knew he had our interest at heart. So we moved to Eufaula. Up to that point, 
alcoholism was not a part of our lives. We hadn't been there long. And there's some people here that lives near Eufaula, and they, they, they old southern aristocratic town. And you had to fight really hard to belong because they didn't have many new people there at the time we, we went. And things began to happen. I really didn't even know what an alcoholic was. We, he had a brother that we called a drunk. So things began to, to develop. And I couldn't understand what it was. He was changing, and I didn't like it. And as he picked up the bottle, I picked up the same pattern that he did. He picked up a drink and became alcoholic, became drunk and alcoholic. I picked up the alcoholic and got drunk on control. His obsession was what was in the bottle, and mine was to keep him out of the bottle. I was one busy woman. Uh, even went to work for him. And I would not recommend that to anybody. And I, I think, uh, Charles, I wanted, at this point, I really did want to make sure that I qualified to be up here today. When he did the count up on marriages last night, I thought, well, you know, I don't know that I belong here. I only had one marriage and one husband. And uh, so I, I, maybe I missed something. We'll never know. <laughs> it got worse and worse. Of course it did. I was one of the Al-Anons. I'm the saver in the family. And I, I never did pour. The only drink I ever poured out in my life was my own. A neighbor and I was, and I had a lot, I had a resentment about that a long time. And we saw him coming and Charles coming and she loved him too. So we dumped our drink. We've had an afternoon drink, you know, and we dumped it down the sink. Uh, Charles could hardly get in the door when he got low. So, so I kind of resented that he had had his drink and I didn't get mine. <laughs> I'd never heard of Al-Anon. At that little town, I would have been afraid. Today, I would not. I've been back up there to speak, and I felt like I had gone full circle. And we decided that the, we that time decided maybe we'd come back to Panama City. And I really wanted to because I thought I'd find the man I left here with. But you know, we brought us with us. And we got, we brought an awful lot of baggage with us. Um, we just went all of the things. The only reason I didn't do all the wrong things is I didn't think of them. But when it got really bad, I, I did try everything. I did manipulate and maneuver and get him in a few hospitals. And we got a doctor that was going to tell us how to do this. And you would set up these sessions. And the first 15 minutes, you talked the first trip about what you liked about each other. I had the hardest time filling up that 15 minutes. And then we were allowed to go out to drink. Two drinks, and Charles's pretty blue eyes lit up, and he thought, oh, my God, I found me a doctor. <laughs> then we went back to tell what we didn't like. Oh, boy, I mean, I've arrived now. So I, I had me a long list, and I went overtime. And 
Have you ever sat in the presence of a doctor telling an alcoholic everything's wrong with him and then go out to a peaceful, quiet, two-drink dinner? That ended the sessions. And I continued to be just as crazy. Finally, as a last resort, I went to the minister. I wouldn't. And this is another one of those God things. I had Baptist background, we did, and this was a Presbyterian minister. And we were stationed in Alaska with some friends, and they told us all about their minister. And it made me want to go and hear this minister. So he became our minister. We joined that church. And as I say, the last resort was to go to him. And I think the reason I did, he and Charles was going to a church meeting one night. Charles showed up drunk, so they both missed the meeting. And I think Richard kind of felt like there was a problem. And But anyway, I didn't want to go to him because I was afraid he would tell God that that I was out of control. <laughs> and heaven help anybody when an Al-Anon gets out of control. There have been so many God things in my life like that, but I did go to Richard. And he said, why don't you try Al-Anon? What? I'd never heard of it. But he was going to take Charles to his first AA meeting, but he was going to have somebody meet him. And in Panama City, those of you that didn't get to go to East Beach Drive, that was the only one that had uh, uh, that meeting place. I was so afraid to go down there in the daytime. And he told me to show up down there at 8 o'clock at night, and this woman would meet me, and that it would be all women at that time. That's all it was. Well, I didn't see anybody but men going in there. And so I left. I stood under a palm tree waiting and in that unsafe place. And all this time, it's beginning, these thoughts. You know how these thoughts go? This fine, sullen lady that left a nice house to come down here to this when I didn't have the problem. Needless to say, Charles tied one on when I got through with him after that one. <laughs> I did go to Al-Anon. But I found out real quick that Charles wasn't there. And how am I going to get him straight if I'm not with him? Because I had kind of taken up thinking for him. Because by my standards, he'd gotten a little bit flaky by that time. Just a little. So I was going to find out what I could do about that one. And, you know, we're in tune. We're in tune. And I found out we had open air meetings. And I thought, oh, boy, now I'm going to get it all fixed up. So I started going to those open air meetings. And I would nudge him. I was known as the elbow Alan. <laughs> and I would say, did you hear what they said? And then I would brief him on the way home and kind of fill him in on the rest of the story, you know, what he was supposed to do. And then I heard the sponsor business. And I said, you know you're supposed to have a sponsor, Charles. Y'all getting pretty grateful about now? <laughs> he named three of the finest men in town. And said, tell me they were his sponsors. I didn't know you didn't supposed to have three at one time. And, uh, and it satisfied me. You know, I'd accomplished it. I'd gotten him some sponsors. Anyway, wait. I, I do not count 
and I'm going to get into my years. You, I'll call it get up here and tell you. You're sobriety date. You're going to get to hear mine, too. Uh, but I don't count all of my years. Uh, everybody to their own opinion. But all of a sudden, it dawned on me. I can't count those years for coming in for the wrong reason. The only thing good that came out of that is I knew where to come back to when I was ready. But I didn't stay. I did everything in my power to get him sober in AA. He picked up so many white chips till when they named him White Chip Charlie, he <laughs> he kind of didn't like that. <laughs> so. A lot of bad things happened. Uh, there has to be a crisis. There had to be a crisis in my life before. And I tell anybody, don't create one. Don't try to avoid one. The hospitals that I talked about that played such a part in my life at such a young age was my salvation. I was having some surgery. Charles chose not to come home. I won't tell you much about his story. It's about, it's about what I've done. Uh, he decided not to come home that night. And I was due in the hospital the next day at 10 o'clock. He wrecked the truck. He didn't know where he was, but he knew enough to tell him my name and telephone number. And somebody called me and told me they had him and uh, at a grocery store. I raced out and got him. You know, I didn't want to give up altogether. Well, I didn't know what to do. The humane thing would have been to go on out there. Uh, today I'd have left him there. <laughs> I took him to Tyndall Hospital. It was obvious what was wrong with him. And the doctor said, we know what's wrong, but, you know, watch him today because he had a knot on his head and all that. And uh, I said, I'm doing the hospital myself in a couple of hours, and I don't have anybody to leave him with. He says, as a favor to you, I will admit him. We're on the same floor. I go home, get my clothes, get back, and he walks in that afternoon all cleaned up. He'd slept all day, and he was trying to throw me on the guilt trip. And I said, get up, get out of here. You know, I don't want to hear that. And I went into surgery like that. But I went in kind of early the next morning. He was sleeping in. I say, right across the hall. Isn't that a pretty setting? Me on the same floor. That was the crisis that God sent my way to make me do what I had to do to get where I had to go. When that gurney hit that operating room, I said, nobody is going to run me crazy. And with that, things changed. I said, if you ever want to do anything about your problem, come back and talk to, talk to. I don't want a divorce, but I can't live in this any longer. And I wished I could tell you it was instant, that, that miracles happened. Charles heard me that time. Who would listen to screaming, hollering somebody that was finding all of his bottles and showing them to him and all that kind of stuff. I was so good at finding those empties. They weren't anywhere he could put them, and I couldn't find them. And then I would show them to him. I was out raking one day. I'm a raker when I get old tents. Till this day I am. And I began these little caps begin to fly by at me when I'm raking the leaves. And I looked down and it said Smirnoff. He had a back carport. So he would just do his little miniatures and toss the tops out in the, the leaves and not knowing that I would be out there raking pretty soon. <laughs> so when I talk about the insanity, when we talk about insanity, I don't have a bit of trouble with that. Not one bit of trouble. I collected those caps. Enough of them to make a good showing. 
So we had this long coffee table. And I lined them up on here, you know. And <laughs> then I stood there as he walked in. And uh, he would walk back by me. He knew there was something, but you know, he couldn't much remember a whole lot of stuff. And But he knew something was up. Finally, he said, what in the hell was that? And I reared back and said, I want you to tell me. That satisfied me, you know. So that was what my life became. We'd, I decided he did go to treatment. He had a few more drunks after that. But I stuck to my gun. We did separate. And one day, I, I always have to tell this because I do fit. I, I want to tell you what I was like, what happened to me because of somebody else's drinking, what the, fa- the family illness, what happened to me. He always planned our future on a napkin. Till this day, I don't want anybody to pull out a napkin and write anything on it. <clears throat> but he could put the bright, the prettiest picture, he could draw out the best future on a napkin you've ever seen. So he had a little, little too much. I, I like to call it research. You know, he was, he was really into his research. And uh, he told me that he was going to get a divorce and that he was showing me on that napkin what he would give me. Unless I married some sorry SOB. And my finest hour was when I said I'm not in the habit of associating with sorry SOBs until now, that is. I will, I will tell you that that's what I became. I was not proud of what I became. Because, you see, I know this man wasn't an SOB. During the time that he was doing his research, we had a real special special guy in my life that was doing some research. And they researched together. Uh, I met this person at um, when he was 18, and he's the one that gave me the God Witch name. They, they went fishing together, and they both came home with too much research. <laughs> he loved to go fishing with Charles because he could tell his wife and his in-laws, Charles made me do it. So I blame Charles for making this young man an alcoholic. And we know that nobody else makes anybody else one. I have made amends for that. Go make another one today. I did get in Al-Anon. But that time, well, Charles went to treatment. He He did go to treatment. And the first week, they would let him come home and get, get their car. Now, they never set up with an alcoholic. Let him out of treatment center to come home and get his car. And he told me what he was going to do with that program. He was going back over there, and he was going to tell that head shrink what to do with his program. Very gently, I told him, it's up to you. You have the most to lose or gain. I hope you will stay. And he told in his story that when you used everybody up, and your family is usually the last to go. You're either going to do something bad to get out of it. And he chose to do something bad. He stayed. And he wanted to move back home. That's the hardest decision I've ever had to make. I could sleep at night. I had some peace. And I didn't, I didn't know that I wanted to try that again. Um, had a son that was, that son that was very supportive. But her daughter stuck her head in the sand and didn't believe it. And that gives her trouble today. 
Wayne was the one that, and I can never forget that. He was the one that that, that stuck by me the most and dealt with his daddy because his research hadn't started at that point. Charles did go to treatment. I did agree to let him come home. But I think I knew without a shadow of a doubt, if you ever pick up another drink, it'll be over. I will not go back down that road again. That time I came back into Al-Anon. And that time I came for the right reason. And that's the year I count. Things are going along pretty good. I'd like to tell you that I, the bluebird of happiness moved in immediately. Didn't, didn't do it. Didn't do it. And I fought real hard about that one. I was a grandmother. We finally had those four, three granddaughters and a grandson. We got that one grandson that is the apple of my eye. Some of the, some of the time. Some of the time. Uh, but, but anyway, we was doing our thing and, uh, and that's the way it's supposed to be. And I thought it was, everything's just going to be okay. You don't drink that many years and you don't react that many years and it's going to be okay just overnight. Uh, communication was just kind of a big problem. <laughs> Just a big problem. Um, I, I wanted a banana bush planted. I like to tell, this is a true story now, some of the things I tell, some I don't mean what I've told is not true, but I'll, some little, something I read sometime that fits it better than I can. But I wanted that banana bush, bush planted. There was a sofa, that long sofa that I had put those caps on, looked out into the pool, and it was a screened in, and I wanted a pretty garden at the end of it. Well, he said he wouldn't live, but, and, but finally I won, like I did a lot of times, and he planted it. Our conversation every morning, now communication just goes out, went out the window with that, this, this alcoholic family. His, to me, he got up first, made coffee, and was sitting on the couch, had read the paper, every bad thing in it, so he could tell me what all bad was going on. And, and he'd say, that banana bush is gonna die. I'd say, I don't think so. Yeah, I think it's going to die. Somebody asked me one day what happened to it, and I said, oh, it died. We bought it to death. <laughs> I do have a little thing written down here so I wouldn't forget, that, and the communication. There was this alcoholic couple that kind of had a little argument, and they decided to take a ride down a country road. Neither one giving in. Have you ever been that way? I'm sure none of you out there have ever had that. You're getting a little bit better in the program, you know, and you're going to try to do what they're telling you. And uh, the woman finally, they, they passed a farm, and she said, uh, look at those goats and pigs and hogs. Are they your, rel uh, are they your relatives? He said, yep, in-laws. Have you ever gotten the best of an alcoholic yet? I mean, <laughs> these grandchildren, are, they, they never knew their grandfather as an alcoholic. Thank you, Lord. And we had, we were the best two grandparents that anybody's ever been. I set out when, when I thought I was going to have a, the blue bird of happiness was going to move in, you know, and we started this life. My goal was to be the best wife, the best mother, 
the best grandmother anybody ever had. And, you know, I got one of the greatest shocks of all times when I found out there's no demand for any of that. You just, you know, you're just unappreciated. But I've loved every minute of it. We we just kept doing our thing. I wanted to go to conventions, and guess what? He didn't like them. But I kept going. I traveled all over. I traveled a lot after. He wouldn't travel with me, and I finally planted my feet and said, okay, I understand. But I'm going to. I went back to work during this period of time. I didn't even know what the salary was when I went back. When I got better, busy, I got better. I just had to do something with my life. And I had a stressful job. I counted money and kept books for Sears Roebuck. And I was too busy all day when I got back to think. And when I got off, I was too tired. But I began to learn what you had to tell me. I began to, I, I, immediately, when I came back for the right reason, I took this program like you wouldn't believe. Because I'd exhausted every other source. And it, it just kept along and worked. And I never will forget the day I retired. I went back to save my life. And I took lump sum retirement and they mailed my checks to me. And that day that I got them in the mail, was I won't ever forget it. And I said, oh, and I only went to save my life. I felt guilty about those that money, but, you know, it, it left me about the time I got to the bank. <laughs> I don't live in the town with any of my children. So it's easier to deal with the alcoholics. I told you I'm the mother of an alcoholic. My boy became alcoholic. I was not right there with him, but I called him every day when he told me. Of course, he wanted to tell me, but I told him, because I've always done that. You're good, Al-Anon. When he was going to tell me something, he had a deep, dark secret to tell me. I said, oh, you've got a drinking problem. And uh, <clears throat> But anyway, he's he's still out there. He's still out there. Uh, better, I, I don't know. He's in extremely bad health, extremely bad health. Uh, but I can tell I have just wonderful conversation with him. There was a period of time. And this is hard for a mother. There was a period of time that I went four and a half years without seeing or speaking to him. That's the only way I could do it. Now, I can't tell you I would have done that had I not had his children to tell me how he was doing. I don't know to this day if I could have done it. But it got me where I needed to go. I I just had to detach from it. The daughter is, she, she knows her daddy had a problem, but yet she can't, she can't quite get it. She only saw him drunk one time. I take credit for that situation. She loved him so much that I just couldn't bear the thought. I think any mother would protect. I couldn't bear the thoughts of her seeing him like that because I knew how it made me feel. So she knew nothing about it, and when it became necessary for her to know it, she didn't believe it. She saw a raging mother, but she didn't see a drunk daddy, so she didn't understand. It causes us problems till this day. I've, I've come a long way this year, come a long way. Uh, anytime I'm off, asked to talk, and please don't turn it down if you ever asked to, because what it does, it's not what I'm doing for you. Oh, no, it's what, it's what you're doing for me and what I do for myself. I had to do a lot of forgiving 
first of all, I had to forgive me. And then the amends. Um, I've been able to make some amends to him, but not as I don't have the opportunity now, but I can do them in another way. But we went along working this program to the best of our abilities, and I think we were both really good program people. We, you know, we enjoyed it. We, we met meetings together, and everything just went along, just you know, the way the way it's supposed to. And one day he got sick, and he had a heart attack, and they flew him to Kistler Air Force Base. And I want to back up and say, when we came into the program, when I came to Al-Anon, there was such a fine line between love and hate that I could not have told you which was which. I didn't know that if I did love this man uh, again, still, I didn't know if I ever could if I didn't. But I was willing to give it a try. We had been married 20 years when he became alcoholic. So I thought, well, I'll just give the best shot I can. My sponsor told me, and I did get a sponsor. I do believe in that strongly. I believe in the steps. I believe in the traditions. That's what's got me where I am today. I chose the readings today because I can remember. And that's, that's another form of amends to my husband. When I first saw those steps when I was doing the elbow Al-Anon into him, I heard those steps, and I thought, oh, Lord, they must have written them for him. Of course, I changed a few words to fit. And I would judge him, and I took his inventory, and I loved taking the tenth one. But, you know, I didn't do it like the book tells you. I continued to take his inventory and promptly told him about it. But I didn't know when I got here and picked up those steps, and I thought, my, I've seen these before. So thank you, A.A., for giving us, letting us use your steps and making us have a better life. Can't tell you when I, when I say the word, and as I say, I talk like I'm talking in shorthand, so just bear with me. I can't tell you what it means to see the two programs come together. It's been a wonderful experience, and I value. We have double winners in our group. And I value. I have one double when I'm sitting out there. I always ask questions when I don't know anything. I never could understand why an alcoholic couldn't make a decision. If they did, they couldn't stick with it. Now, I'm speaking of mine, but I know none of you have had that problem. Uh, I can tell that, that you all had it together. But I asked her one day after I got to know her, I said, tell me something. Why is it that they can't make a decision and can't stick with it? She said, oh, real simple. There's two reasons. One is they may not can. And another one, they just may not want to. Oh. I understood that one. <clears throat> but Alanons <laughs> wouldn't about let anybody know that you couldn't make a decision. You're going to make it up if you can't make one. And you'd die before you'd let anybody know you're not going to live up to it. So, so you see, I understood that one. Uh, that one also told me one day, that spent so much to me. I was having dr struggles with this daughter. And I said I was disappointed in her. And she's, she's a girl, a daughter anybody could be proud of. Anybody. Real smart, bright girl. Uh, but I was struggling. And I woke up the next morning, I said, it's not her I'm disappointed in, it's me. 
look how long I've been in the program. And I'm still caught up with this. And she said, oh, you found out you're human, huh? And that's meant more to me. It, it released me to know that I am human. So these years have gone on. The granddaughter probably has 15 years now of sobriety. She is the mother of the smartest two kids walking around. Judy was so proud of her first grandchild. You know, this is what sponsors do to sponsees. And she called him, and I did all the right things. I congratulated her. But you know us Alanons was always going to yes, but something. Then I called her back. And I said, just in case you think that you've just had the smartest grandchild in the world, that spot's already taken. I got him. <laughs> but I continue to work this program to the best of my ability. I do a lot of service work. I have a soft spot in my heart, a soft spot in my heart for newcomers. Without them, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I'm going to, we're going to have a surprise today. I want to talk a little bit about this year. I've learned more this year than I have learned in the years that I've been in this fellowship. A lot of you know how old I am. All of Bay County knows how old I am. They did a flyer in January with balloons and the age on it. And they gave me the darndest party anybody's ever had. They, let, they got me out of control. They asked my permission for a date. And that's all I had to say about it. My, my kids, all of them, and I am the mother of all of that bunch. The two things that they want to get on me is me out of control and catching me where my socks don't match my outfits. <laughs> they had me out of control with that party. But it's the greatest thrill of my life. AH came too. Ages, the date, the, see, I told you I counted money and I did figures, so I'm, I have a feeling about all of that. This birthday had a zero, and it was the 80th. There was a young version of me out there. I want you all to know I drove myself out here. I still have my original hips and knees. <laughs> I hear too well, I'm told. So there's a young version of me running loose out in Dallas, Texas. She's 24 years old, my granddaughter. She looks like me. She acts like me. She drives like me. And I saw a little blurb the other day that fit that to a T. It was this granddaughter said, I want to die just like my grandmother did. She died with, in, in her sleep with a smile on her face in her sleep, died at peace. Not screaming and yelling and hollering like all the ladies that was riding in her car with her. (laughs) 
I'm one of the few people that you would know at 80 years old that would hit Atlanta wide open. Go to ball games, and some, I take my young friends with me sometime, and they show for me. But if you work it right, get you a motel where you come out this way on the interstate, and that heads you straight to the stadium. And my parking permit is across the street from the gate. It's not, it's unsafe if you leave by yourself without a bunch of people going. And if the Braves don't need me in the eighth to win that game, I keep my Walkman on and I head for the car. That way you get out of there. They block the streets off this way at, in the ninth. And I can beat all that and get back on that interstate to the motel. So you see, there's ways to do it. Getting old, everybody, everybody's going to get old. But you don't have to be old. And so that, that is, I, I love it. And going back to that communication business, I saw a little thing the other day. Little, just a little cartoon thing. This man was wanting to be romantic with his wife, and he, or, or it's AA and Alan people. And to sit in the swing one night, and the moon was shining. And he looked over at her, and he said, In the moonlight, your uh, teeth shine just like pearl. And she jumped on him and said, Who in the world is Pearl, and what are you doing in the moonlight with her? <laughs> That's kind of how our conversation went. This, I've learned just in the last, but I want to talk about the, the years, the next zero. I would have been married, we would have been married 60 years this year. See, all of this has the zeros to it. I told you how I didn't know if I loved or hated this man or if I ever could love him again or not. I found that one out. I found out how to detach with love. See, I couldn't do that when I got here. I just had to detach. I'll tell anybody, if you can't do it with love, just detach. God will figure it. You and God can figure it out. But I found out I did. I could detach with love. Those 60 years, what I remember about them today, and I've done a lot of reflecting on that lately, is the good times. Not forgetting that they were some bad times. I put my husband on a pedestal early in our marriage, and I knocked him off. There are no memories on a pedestal in my house. In fact, <clears throat> there are times that I hear something that will trigger a thought with me, and I want to go to the cemetery and dig him up so I can kill him again. <laughs> I wanted to make amends uh, to, to my husband, and I did make some. And one of the amends I wanted to make to him, I get, have somebody bring me down every time I turn around. And I was going to make an amends to him because I planned his funeral when he was drinking. And I was going to wear a red dress, paid the insurance up so I could have it. I deserved it. And, uh, and so I had this fantasy. My biggest problem was how in the world am I going to look sad? <laughs> Especially with these two children. <laughs> I did find out I loved him. There wasn't a doubt. 
and I owe it all to Al-Anon. I told you, he... I didn't tell you how long I've been in the program. 30 years that I call active 30 years. I do not count the ones that I came for the wrong reason. I came only, only to get him sober. Now the next zero, he wouldn't have been dead 20 years this year. And I look back on that, remembering more good times than bad, grateful for the journey, grateful for the journey. I have these two, two, I can't call them children anymore, uh, son and daughter. Recently, and this is real fun, I got tested. Are you going to get up there and walk the walk that you talk? So God's done a number on me. Had a little bit of a problem, legal problem. It looked like it was going to be with a landline. And I did my homework, went and checked it out, what was legal and what wasn't, and they got legal. Love the couple that was involved. But God, you know, you have to take care of yourself, really. God helps those that help themselves. And got it all straightened out. <clears throat> I would have missed one of the greatest blessings in the world. She was pregnant with twins. I got to be a part of every bit of that. And had I not done what this program told me to do, I would have missed that. I got a call from her in the hospital shortly after those babies were born. And now, I'm going to talk about the grandson. Uh, I had some blood work done recently, and it showed up mysterious, uh, nothing serious. Uh, I didn't understand it. And my grandson's a doctor, so I wanted him to explain it to me. Well, about two weeks later, he emailed me. And he said, don't sweat it. He's going to be so doctorish for his grandmom. You know, let me know what all he knew. And he proceeded to say the wrong thing. He said, at your age. <laughs> you are so lucky. See, I'm not on medication. I'm still bragging about that because I got in under the wire after this one. And uh, he said, at your age. Anybody would give anything to be that healthy. But you see, that little boy also bragged to his doctor friends. My grandma's 80 years old, and she's not had any medicine. So he was proud of it, but he was going to be the doctor to me. Well, I was so mad with him. And then he told me some things to do. And I was going to email him back and tell him that if he kept on, he told me to keep walking. I don't walk. I wouldn't even walk to the mailbox if it wasn't nailed to the house. And uh, so I I was going to tell him a thing or two. But first of all, I was going to tell him to keep, he told me to keep walking. I was going to tell him to keep working on his bedside manner, and he just might make it one of these days. <laughs> so I invited one of my young men to lunch before I did anything foolish. I even bought his lunch. And he explained a few things to me and made a few suggestions. <laughs> and I went home and thought about it, and I didn't do anything. 
there was God was getting my attention real good to make sure that I with the twins next door that I was that that I showing me he I wanted to be rewarded okay God I be good well heaven help anybody when an Alanon says she's going to be good <laughs> but but anyway I was pleased but I still wanted am I is my walk matching my talk and I got a call from that grandson oh and by the way while I was out to lunch with his friend with with him I said would you adopt me I said, I have my own spending money, and uh, I-, I wouldn't give you any trouble. And he he's, he's, he adopted me. But I got a call from that. I, li- I, I shared, he shared with me, and it made sense. He said, Grandma, and he can melt me. I don't care what he does to me when he, when he says on that phone, hey, Grandma, how are you? What's going on? He said, guess what? We're pregnant. And I, I waited a minute, and he says, and guess what? It's twins. So there's my big surprise. I am going to have twin great-grandchildren. The point that comes home to me the most is I couldn't have missed it. If I had written him, sent him that email, I doubt I'd have gotten the first call had I not done what I did with the kids. But, but my God, just kind of draws pictures to me. It's so funny, within five days of those twins being born next door, I got the news about the twin great-grandchildren. And he told me, Grandma, you're the first to know. I haven't told my mom and dad yet. The rewards, that was the greatest reward I could ever have. And I do thank my adopted son for, for that little session that day. Now, I have another, I'm going to do something just a little bit different today. And I hope I can... I'll, I'll settle down in just a minute with, with this one. As we work the program, and I have not all of you done the steps that are here just about. Um, I'm sure you have. And, and there's no way to cover all of it in an, in an hour's time. So if you haven't read them today or your readings, go, go back out and read them. But in struggling, I hear a lot about fear. And as I looked out that window today and that gorgeous, gorgeous view, and I thought about venturing out. If you want to see more of the ocean, you're going to have to have the courage to leave the shoreline. Think about that one. And as you walk the beach today, and I don't, I tried to look it up. I think it's the starfish, and if I'm wrong, there's going to be pl- plenty of people out there tell me when it's over about the starfish. But I had, heard, I think it's the starfish that if it washes ashore, it's, uh, uh they'll die. And this person was frantically trying to throw them all back. And somebody came along and said, what are you doing? And she said, oh, they'll die if I don't get them back. And said, well, you can't save everybody. She said, be it if I save just one. So any time I share, give you a little bit of me, if I can help in any way to save just one thought. But I thought about the fear. Just think about it with that big, the gulf first and then the ocean. And, and how fearful that would be. So is life when we make a change to try to deal with it.
But we've got to be willing to have the courage to leave the shore. And that's the scary part. I told you about this young man that my husband drank with. Four years after my husband died, this young man called me. And he had been to treatment and wanted to see me. So I, today I hold, and I didn't manage to lose it, I have my husband's silver dollar. It had nine holes in it. So I went to see this young man, and I said, one day at a time, this is going to be yours when you get nine holes. That was the forms of amends to him, my husband. So I had the pleasure last month. He called me. He was back in town. I wouldn't give him the silver dollar because, you see, I'd learned enough by that time to know that's all it would take to give an alcohol- a new sober alcoholic with nine holes already in it. He, he had nine years the next day. But the Al-Anon that gave it to him would take credit for him making those nine years. <laughs> so... I don't want to forget to tell about Biloxi, Mississippi. That's where my husband was flown when he had the heart attack and the cancer. Working this program to the very best of my ability and him, his, I had the answer to whether I loved him or hated him or not. I was at the hospital that night. He only lived a week and a half. And I was at the hospital and we, I left because he was on cardiac ward and all. I left to go to the guest house. And the very last words we spoke to each other, I said, I love you. He said, I love you too. And we meant it. Got a call the next morning to come back to the hospital. He was dead. He had died of a cardiac arrest. I had a car over that. Of course, you know, I'm in the car coming home. And that was the best six hours I've ever spent because all of you that was, was riding with me at I thought of, I reflected back to those, what it had given us and what almost happened to a couple. So I did find out, and I was so grateful that that was the last words we spoke to each other. I'm going to do something that's just a little bit different than what I've done. I've held this silver dollar since yesterday. My husband, the last time he used this was in Biloxi, Mississippi, where he died. The owner of this silver dollar now lives in Biloxi, Mississippi. That's the God of my understanding. And at this time, I'm going to ask Nick if he'd come forward, please. I want to do as well. I told you I'm the mother of everybody. Today, his late mother would be 80 years old. She was a friend of mine. And I would like to have a hug from her. I'm going to talk about some more numbers. 
I want to talk about how my program works. It is with hands held out. We, one hand, one alcoholic comes in and holds his hand out. One Al-Anon comes in, and the next one holds out to another one. And this is how it goes around. But I got to thinking about these last few years and just how I've been privileged to see this work. So Nick's a, a great part of it. And I'm going to ask Judy to come forward. These two have never met each other. <laughs> Judy, this is Nick. They sort of know each other. We want to tell you how I wanted to tell you how this program works. While my husband, he he had nine, I have the thirty years. My husband had nine. Nick celebrated. He called me and wanted me to come out and help him do his sixteenth year this summer. So he has 16. Her, her son and his son grew up together. And they probably did a little research. Her son now has seven years in the program. We was at a convention. I didn't know Judy. And we was at a convention out of town, and she was there. And we got, it was in the hospitality room and got to talking. She had been, she'd had a, a physical problem that, that she would not heard much about. She was praying that just she could meet one person that had had that illness. My niece has. They've communicated. Judy and I became acquainted and I became her sponsor. Found out later that my son and her husband did, did research together. Bob has, she has 17 years. Her husband has 17. There's a lot more people on here. Their daughter, Hillary, has 15. Robbie has seven. I totaled that collectively. That's 111 years of one person holding out a hand to another person. And isn't that the neatest thing? I have to give this back because I've been afraid I was going to lose it. <laughs> you can stand up here with me. I, I appreciate all of you being here. There's a lot of things once I leave here I wished I'd have said. But when I turn it over, I have to know that it was God's will, not mine. And I am remiss in not saying one other thing, and then I am going to close. Mike and Pauline, I've been privileged this year to be with them twice. And Mike drove, many people drive my car. And uh, I've been puzzled about something. He, he drove up in, in March when we were together, and we had the best time. And I know what he, I could look on his face and tell what he was thinking. It's like driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> I was in the back seat, and I have been in the back seat of my car. And we just had a real good time. Well, Wednesday we had a little pre, pre-convention, and we all got together and met Patty and Gary. And, and we had a real guy. He drove again. I looked real good when I got home, and I haven't yet found a bird in the grill of that car. 
And I can't say the owner can brag about that. But I've just wondered how he manages to miss the birds, and I can't. But it's been fun. I appreciate all of you being here, and I love you all. And I do like to close with the declaration when I mention holding the hands and one hand to another. Elanon has a, a declaration, and it's when anyone anywhere reaches out for help, let the hand of Elanon and Alateen always be there, and let it begin with me. Thank you. Let's close in the traditional manner with the Lord's Prayer. Whose Father?